The text for the sermon this day is taken from Revelation 5, specifically these words from verse 14. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, a little confession. The text, if I don't know if you were following the back of the bulletin, only one of the scripture readings are actually from the fourth Sunday in of Easter. The other two are for the commemoration of St. Philip and St. James, which is today. They were two of the saint, two of the apostles. And it's also because with it being confirmation, they had shorter scripture readings. So let's shrink it down the service a little bit. <laughs> but the t word I want to focus on is that word, amen. If you ever look throughout the course of a service, we say the word amen a lot. Now, you might know the theological definition of the word amen, which is, yea, yea, it shall be so. But the most literal definition of the word amen is true, or truly, or this is true. It is actually considered, it is the people's word. Not the pastor's word, believe it or not. When you come to a service, the pastor is never supposed to say amen. Only the congregation is supposed to say amen. If we say amen, it's because we're like, come on, people, speak up. It's like, because amen is your way of saying, yes, what just sa was just said, that's true. It's your mark of approval. So, for example... When you say the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed, at the end of it, you say amen, saying, yes, this is most certainly true. Today, the five of you, you're going to say amen, your amen, in a little bit, when we ask you a whole slew of questions. Your amen to all the things that you had to sit through class in the lower conference room, all that memory work and everything, you are saying, amen, this is true. So if, when you say amen, you are saying, and by the way, this is not just for you, this is for anybody that's confirmed in the faith or is preparing to be confirmed, so you're in the process of learning this stuff. But when you say amen, you are saying, yes, indeed, the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't just contain the, God, the Word of God. It is the Word of God. The difference being is if you say it just contains the Word of God, that means that some of it might not be His Word. So you are saying it is God's infallible, inerrant Word. You are saying that the two primary doctrines of the Bible is law and gospel. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So in other words, the law shows our sin and our need for a Savior. The gospel shows our Savior. Your amen says that you agree with all those Ten Commandments. 
There's a reason why you have to always get to memorize those. That you shall have no other gods before me, it says. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Note, it doesn't say all persons, it says all things. Because Luther, when he wrote, he penned that meaning, he was very well aware that we would turn things into our gods. And in fact, we do turn our things into idols. What is the root of all evil? The love of money. Not money, but the love of it is, all, is the root of all evil. And so also, and the reason is, is because money is one of the most popular idols. We do anything and everything we can get to, do to get to it. And if you think that if you, don't, if you lack money, it's not an idol, it still is. Whether you have a lot or if you have very little, you are seeking ways to either keep it or get it. And it can become an obsession. And the things that we purchase our money with, our possessions, our hobbies, our toys, our cars, our houses, our yards, whatever it may be, it can become an idol. Because an idol is anything you place your trust, your time, your treasures into above God. And we have so very, very many idols. Our job can turn into our idols. Our education can turn into an idol. Even our family and friends can become an idol. And by the way, none of the idols are bad things. They're, actually, they're all good things, just like money. Money is a good thing. But when you love it, it gets corrupted. What, what is it? What corrupts absolutely? Anybody know that quote? Power. Yeah, they say pow absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, I have, I'm going to break the news to you. Power does not corrupt. Because if we believe that absolute power corrupts, that means that God is corrupt. No, absolute power doesn't corrupt. You corrupt absolute power. We are the source of the corruption, not the other way. Because that is our sinful nature. The second commandment, what is it? Ha, okay. You, sorry, high pressure. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. I'm going old style. 1940s, that's when I was... The 1940s catechism, that's when I was confirmed on. So you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, which means you should not use it in any meaningless manner. So that means you do not give in to fortune-telling and divination. So if you find out that your local prom is doing tarot cards, which happen at a local one not that far from us, you should be upset by that. If you find out or another way that we break this commandment, and this is probably the much more common, OMG, or gosh, or geez. 
And I'm using these as examples. I'm not actually using it in vain. But these are very common examples in which we use the Lord's name in vain. Or we, and how do we keep it? We give thanks to God. We pray to him. We give praise. And by the way, we do not tolerate false, false teaching of any kind. And again, that's why you do a lot of the stuff you learn in confirmation. It's so you can recognize false teachers. And it's also why, are you done learning about the faith? Okay. Why? Because you still, you're actually just, you're just scratching the surface. There is so, so, so much more. There's a reason why even pastors are expected to do continuing education, because even after seminary, we don't know it all. Sometimes we might act like it, but we don't. You're on men. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That means you go to worship. You hear God's word, and you gladly keep it. So there is no... And you regularly receive the Lord's Supper, which you're going to receive for the first time today. Fourth commandment, you shall honor your father and mother. That and all authority. So that means teachers, you have teachers, so you're supposed to honor them, respect them. You're supposed to honor and respect, obviously, your parents, grandparents. And here's the one that we are, if you have a job, your employer. And here's the one nobody likes, your government. So the deputy, the governor, the mayor, even the president. Yes, you're to pray for them and even give thanks for them. And if you ever think, Paul, you know nothing. By the way, the whole idea of giving thanks, it's not my, my idea. That's Paul's idea. And if you ever wonder what, if you think, Paul, you don't know what it's like to have a bad leader. Remember, when Paul writes to give thanks for your leaders, he is in prison awaiting his execution at the hand of the very same leader he is saying, give thanks for. So unless you are awaiting the exec your execution at the hand of your leader, or worse, you don't have much good reason. So... Yes, we give thanks, no matter if they're on your side or not. And if you're wise, you realize all of them are at some point against you. You're on men means you shall not murder. That means uh, hopefully none of you are going to murder anybody. Fortunately, that's a rare thing in our, where we live. But if you hate someone, if you say harsh words towards somebody, if you tear down another person's reputation, if you see someone being bullied or being insulted or ridiculed and you do not defend them, if you see someone in need and you do not help them when you're able to, all of those are examples of breaking the fifth commandment. Those are all ways that you can commit murder in your heart. Sixth commandment, you should not commit adultery. Not just that you shouldn't lust after someone. I mean, not just that you shouldn't cheat on your spouse, but you shouldn't lust after another. 
you shall not have you shall not sleep with somebody outside of marriage that means no that also means you stand against homosexuality it also means that even divorce unless it's by one of the means that Christ outlines in the scriptures is spoken against seventh commandment you shall not steal that's kind of the easy one that even includes bank pens or zimmy's pens or whatever wherever you're at it also means not downloading things illegally off the internet that was a much bigger thing in my day when we had napster and limewire and all that stuff eighth commandment you shall not bear false witness so don't lie you're supposed to build up others so for example you hear some about something on the news or something happened with somebody our temptation is usually oh, they're so horrible i can't believe what they did before we ever know any of the facts really good example of this nationally that happened a few years ago there was a covington kentucky student who was at a pro-life rally in Washington, D.C. Some of you might remember this. But he was confronted by a gentleman, and he stood firm against him. And he's trying to defend himself. And the media came out and said, look at how disrespectful the younger generation is. Look at how horrible this young man is. And of course, he had a mega hat on, and they really wanted to highlight that. Well, everyone went after them people on both sides of the aisle said this kid is so just an example of how bad the younger generation is well more video footage came out and they found out that the man the, that young man was actually in the right and they realized when the facts had not come out the whole nation spent time in a smear campaign against the high school students we didn't know the facts, and so what do we do? And we still go right at breaking the Eighth Commandment. Eighth Commandment does not just apply to the people you know in your life, most definitely does, but it applies to all people. In other words, put the best construction on everybody, on every situation. Ninth and Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. That means you are content you are content with what God has given you. So when you say your amen, you're saying amen to all of those commandments. And guess what? What is the second use of the law? You looked at it this morning. But maybe. Mirror, right? Not, not cell phone or television. Yes, mirror. Or you could see the selfie camera. Maybe that would be the more accurate. Modern day, maybe it's the selfie camera instead of mirror. But when you look at it, you see your image. So the, the second use of the law is it shows our sin. It shows that we do not keep any of the commandments. We break all of it over and over and over again. And we are poor, miserable, broken sinners. And we deserve God's wrath. And your amen is acknowledging that. 
What's the next chief part? By the way, Luther structured his catechism different than some others. He started with the commandments instead of the creed. And the reason is because the commandments are the law. That is what needed to be heard by the Germans in particular at that time period. Then he goes to the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So you are saying amen to that God created the heavens and the, the, heavens and the earth with his word. And he sustains you. He gives you food, clothing, shoes, house, home, parents, so family, friends, all of those things. And by the way, he created it, like I said, with his word, not evolution. Evolution is incompatible with the scriptures. Amen. If you hold to evolution, that means that death, it just happens. It means when somebody dies, they're like, eh, whatever. People die. But if you hold to the scriptures, you know why death entered into the world. Because of sin. And you know that death is not forever. Evolution, death never comes to an end. God, with God as creator, it has its own death. Your amen is that God gives you these good things. Is it, does he give you good things because you're really good? Do your parents only feed you if you're a good kid? Do they like, ah, you're a little disobedient, no food this week. Hopefully they don't go that. They might make you miss one meal, but hopefully not a week. Unless you're really, 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 no, just kidding. God doesn't do work that way either. There are many, if there are churches right this morning, that their church fills up about 40,000 people every week. And they will tell you that if you have the right attitude and the right mindset, the really popular one is Joel Osteen, if you're wondering, he'll tell you that God promises you the abundant life. Not the barely get by life, but the abundant life. And the way you get that is you have to have the right attitude. You have to pray in the right manner, and God will give you good things. But that is not how God works. God provides for you. He cares for you. Not because you are so good. Not because you are an awesome prayer, an awesome at prayer, but because he loves you. God the Father loves you, and therefore he gives you what you need. Second article, Jesus was sent, born of a virgin, born under the law to become obedient to the law, to suffer the effects of the law, namely being crucified. Jesus is true God and true man. 100% God, 100% man. How that works, nobody understands. Not completely. He became human in order to die. And when we say he became human, that means he was hungry, he was thirsty. When you read about the, on Christmas, that means he pooped, he peed, he cried, just like babies do. I know that's kind of weird to think of Jesus did it, but he was human. That's what humans do. He became fully and completely human in order 
to die for you. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, physically. That's why we say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Yes, he is risen, not just alive. He is alive, yes, but we go farther and say he is risen because that means he was once dead and now he is physically, bodily alive. And this is a matter of historical fact, which is why we say that he was crucified under whom? Pontius Pilate. Because Pontius Pilate is a historical figure. So in other words, when we say that Jesus was crucified, died, buried, and rose from the dead, it's not the same as saying, talking about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes, I got a Marvel in, insert. That's coming out Friday. Or Beauty and the Beast, which was a wonderful musical last night, but it is a fairy tale. When we say that Jesus rose from the dead, he really and truly rose from the dead. And that means, on account with the third article of the Creed, because Jesus' blood paid for your sins, redeemed you a lost and condemned creature, on the last day, you will physically rise from the dead too. Those who believe in him will rise to his heavenly kingdom. Because remember, Sam, what's, Jesus is the what? The way? Keep going. It's your confirmation, Bert's. The truth and the life. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, not to put you on the spot or nothing, I, but I did. But Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And those who believe and confess his name, say amen to him as you are saying today, will rise on the last day. Because when you were baptized many years ago, you became a part of his family. And everyone in here is your brother and sister in Christ. And Frank, this class sometimes does act like siblings. So it's quite fitting. You're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Bought by the blood of Jesus. You are part of his church, which means all believers. The next part we talk about, and by the way, who gives you faith? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you faith. So in other words, God does not say, you know what, you've got to accept me into your heart. Nope. He chooses you. God makes the choice you cannot make. He chooses you for salvation. Before the foundations of the world, you were chosen to be his child. Holy and blameless. Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, you can talk to God just like you talk to your father, your earthly parents. And he listens to you. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says maybe. And sometimes he gives you more than you ask for. You're going to say amen that when you were baptized as an infant. And by the way, fun note. When they're going to go up, you're going to see some photos. Two people. Hildy and Whitney are going to be up there as babies because they were two, they're the first ones to be confirmed by Pastor Salcedo, who he also baptizes infants. So you're going to see a nice little side-by-side -side photo. But anyways, when you were baptized as infants, as babies, you were forgiven. You were saved. 
You were clothed in Christ's righteousness. By the way, that's why you're wearing a white robe. It's symbolizing that you are robed in the righteousness of Christ at your baptism. So you are confirming the faith. You're saying amen to the faith that you received in your baptism. And in a little bit, you're going to receive for the first time, and hopefully by far not the last time. In fact, the next time you should receive it is October 5th, or not October, May 15th. You'll have another opportunity to come and receive the bread and receive the wine, which is the body and blood of Jesus. And in it, you receive the forgiveness of sins, the strengthening of your faith. And trust me, you need it. Because you already know life is difficult. You cannot go wander this world without the strength of the one holy God. And in the supper, you receive that. And Jesus said that you are to receive this, how, what? Often. He expects you to receive it often because he knows you need it. That's what your amen is today. Today is St. Philip and St. James. Both of them, their amen was to Christ. To the point, the reason I have a darker red is they died. Philip was crucified. James was sawed in half. Rather than renouncing that he saw, they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Why? Because they know that even if they're sawed in half, crucified, their God will raise them up and they'll be better. In fact, one of your confessions today, we are going to ask you, will you hold to this faith in the face of everything? even death. And you're going to give your amen. Fortunately, you live in the United States. We have a lot of freedoms. Probably not going to, hopefully will never happen in your lifetime. But there's a lot of other ways the world will try to tempt you away from Christ. It is saying you'll keep steadfast even in those moments. So today, how many of you are going to have a meal and celebrate going to have a, a meal with your family afterwards, like a reception. There's a reason why there's, you celebrate. Because today you receive the body and blood of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You are strengthened for the first time. And guess what? Every time you receive it is a celebration. So to God be all glory. And may our amen always be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen.